Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got a legend, McLean Bobbitt, who is known for messy title issues, right? This guy has done over average assignment of like $32,000, and he is known for RSF, where he actually made about $145,000 in assignment fees, which is like 40 phone calls. Mind-blowing. Talk about being efficient with your time. So I'm so excited to have McLean on here. Welcome to the show, McLean. Tell us a little bit about yourself and just your journey so far, man, into real estate. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Kent. Um, so as you said, I'm my name is McLean Bobbitt. I'm based out of East Texas. A um, little fun fact about me, I'm a first-generation American. Both my parents were adopted. Dad's from Vietnam. Mom is from Mexico. Um, basically, I started out my journey. I Rich dad, poor dad. I went to college, graduated debt-free, mm -hmm. um, went worked for corporate America, and I did not like it. I, I worked in corporate for two years, found the real estate bug. I, I, I was like, hey, I don't want to keep living paycheck to paycheck. And my coworkers were 30, 40 years my senior, and they were still working for paycheck to paycheck saying, hey, I, I hope I can take my kids on vacation. So it, it was almost to a T. Um, did some learning in 2018, got into wholesaling. Nine months later, I did my first deal. I had like negative $400 in my account. And I told this lady, I was like, hey, I'm going to give you $40,000 for your house. And two weeks later, I had a check for seven grand. And that changed my whole mindset from there. Because you had your first deal, right? Yes, and yes. you're like, hey, now I got the momentum. I feel like I know what I'm doing. And I mean, that's such a beautiful story, man. Like you and I both came from like first, first generation, right? We have parents that were immigrants and we were always taught like, hey, go get a job, go get a cushy job. I don't know what your parents did, but my parents were sort of like restaurant workers. So, you know, that's just kind of, you don't know English. So that just seems to be the only route you did. Like, tell us a little bit more about your parents, man. Like, yeah. I know they could be so inspirational. Tell us a little bit about your parents and what they, yeah. were, what they were focused on. Um, so I, I guess the saying goes like, it takes a village. So my grandparents raised me for the better part of my life, but my, my grandparents or my grandparents raised me. My parents came from definitely some hard lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll keep it short. If anybody ever wants to hear the story in full, it's it's crazy on both of them. Um, my dad, he was actually one of the 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 boat children from Vietnam. He came over wow. in '75. Um, CBS did a documentary on them. He came in through the port of Houston, down in the port of Houston. Mm -hmm. um, he'd been in and out of foster homes. Finally got adopted by my grandparents back in 1970, 78, mm -hmm. 79. Um, my dad's actually a plumber. Has his own plumbing business. Um, He's always been more of a, hey, I'm just going to find ways to make money. And he's always been kind of, a, mm -hmm. I want to work for myself so I can go enjoy my time with my kids. Yeah. So during school, my dad was always able to come to our events, break away. He, he was like, hey, I have the time to go do this. So that's kind of where I saw the freedom of time mm -hmm. was from my dad. And my mom, she's actually from Mexico. Um, she was adopted as well. She's the oldest of five sisters or five uh, sisters came to talk um, she's always been a hustler. I think my first like experience in multi-level marketing and any kind of MLM Amway stuff mm -hmm. was always my mm -hmm. mom. My <laughs> mom was, my mom has a hustler like spirit. I guess it's the Hispanic side of her. Um, she'd be like, Hey, let's go, let's go flip some things or, Hey, there's mm -hmm. this person that knows how to make some money doing this, this, this. And she always had a, a job, whether it be nursing, it was working at Walmart, things like that. But she always had that entrepreneur spirit of mm -hmm. there's ways to make money besides going to clock in, clock out. So combine the two and you got me. 
Oh my god! And I can see, I can see where that grit come from, right? Just like learning from the hustle of your parents. I mean, that's so inspirational. Uh, well, let's go. Let's go into your corporate job, right? So you talked a little bit about your corporate job. You decide to leave it. I think so many people in real estate investing, they always talk about, I can't wait till I quit my job. I can't wait till I do it, right? What What was finally that trigger? Like, hey, I got my first check and I'm going to do it. Or like you had a conversation with somebody, like what changed your mindset? It's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go take this leap of faith now and go off on my own. Tell us a little bit about your mindset and how that changed. Yeah. Um, so I could go on for an hour on this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to highlight, I'm going to highlight kind of the things there. So obviously I had some lead time before I got, money in the bank the check was done uh july mm-hmm. of 2019 i got that first aha check where it was hey this is real and my wife and i we'd been married for about a year a little year and a half by then and mm-hmm. we'd been wanting to have kids we'd went to fertility doctor and they were like hey y'all are probably gonna have to do like in vitro which is twenty five thousand dollars a pop very expensive and at the time i was probably making thirty eight forty thousand dollars a year and I remember walking out of the doctor's office. That's actually one reason I got this mm-hmm. tattoo. So October, November of 2019, we were walking out of the doctor's office and she was in tears and she w- she looked at me and said, we will never be able to get this like this. This is not going to happen ever. And I looked at her and I said, one, we have a shot. Two, it's not going to be like that forever. And that kind of put the fire under me. And I went and knocked down five, six deals, uh, made like 20, 30 grand. Wow. And we got to December of 2019. Obviously, everyone knows what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was getting ready to leave my corporate job in first quarter of 2020. I talked to my my father-in-law, um, Billy. He was he was amazing. He was an entrepreneur myself or himself. Mm-hmm. And I also talked to my grandfather, who again, it takes a village. I talked to my grandfather and Billy, and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about leaving my corporate job. I'm making some decent income. Obviously, if you make 20 grand in like two months and your annual salary is 40 grand, you're like, I might need to do something. Um, I prepared to leave for corporate. I, I said, I sat down and I said, hey, look, January, February, March, I'm going to go do three deals consistently each month. If I make over $10,000 each month, whenever March is done, I'm leaving. I'm putting in my notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I prepared to make that runway, get off there. Um my grandfather, he had the most profound words to me. He, he was like, I'm going to tell you, son, exactly what I wish my dad would have told me 20 years ago, because he's he's hustler, businessman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is what I wish my dad would have told me. Jump. And I was like, nah. okay. I said, okay, okay. I said, okay. So, so he said, make sure you get everything in line. I got everything in line, insurance, all that. Um, so March, March 5th, no, March 9th is our anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, hey, I'm going to quit March 15th, call it good, I'll get out of here. Well, a little thing called COVID came around, and we started working from home. And mind you, I was driving two hours a day, one hour to Dallas, mm-hmm. one hour back. And I was like, you know, if we're working from home, I'm making money here, and I'm making money on the side. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to milk this for a little bit. Yeah. So so we got, to, we got to May, was it end of April, about May, and my wife was like, you're – clock in for work you go to sleep under your desk and then you wake up and do wholesale deals why don't you just quit and of course i I had that cushion and i was like you know she's probably right and and mind you january february march of 2019 i was making 15 20 thousand dollars a month Mm -hmm. wholesale and i just was comfortable and then my wife was like you probably need to quit you're wasting your own talent 
Um, I love that. The very next week after I quit, Dallas declared shelter in place. I had my first five figure, mid five figure deal. Um, I went on to do like another 40 grand. I like doubled my production the next wow. month. Wow. Um, so <laughs> it was, it was for the better, but again, I had to take that step and go, I know you're doing better than you were a couple months ago, but you, you're still holding yourself back on your potential. And my wife was able to see that and go, you're wasting it right now. That is, man, your wife is amazing, <laughs> man. Like sometimes we, we definitely need that extra support, right? It's like you, you've had that comfort of a job and in order for you to take the leap of faith, it's kind of like someone always needs to tell you to push. You had your parent, I mean, your family tell you like, go jump. You had your wife telling you to go do it. And that is just an incredible support system, man. And I felt like you, you got it. You, you committed, you decided, you set a goal and then you hit it, man. I think that's just a beautiful story. And I think so many people are going to listen to your story and be like, wow, I need to, I need to talk to this guy more. I had to learn from him because I think that's the hardest part is committing and then actually seeing it through. Everybody talks. Yes. Everybody talks. I don't know how many times I've been to the bar with someone to start a business with you, right? Like it happens all the time, but you actually went through with it. And I think that shows a lot about your character, man. Um, that's beautiful. So, all right. You talked about you doing some deals. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about affordable housing. So are you holding any properties right now? Are you oh, just yeah. focused on wholesaling? Tell us a little bit about your portfolio and what you're focused on right now. Yeah. Um, so we're mainly focusing on affordable housing, obviously with where everything is right now with interest rates, um, mm -hmm. hovering around that seven to 8%. Um, I've really focused, we, we were doing wholesaling for like infill lots, houses, standard stuff. I didn't mm -hmm. really, for the last two years, I've kind of put creative finance on the back burner and with everything that's happening, interest rates, I've always been kind of a affordable housing junkie, if you will. Mm -hmm. My corporate job, I was a software sales rep for a very large property management software company. Mm -hmm. And the accounts I dealt with before I left was affordable housing in the Northeast. So Section 8, HUD, mm -hmm. uh, LIHTC, all that. And that's kind of where I got my bug for the affordable housing is I saw that whenever COVID started happening, these people didn't care. They were like, we, we're still getting our payments. We're still getting our tax credits. Yes. We don't care. And my buddies on the conventional multifamily side, they're like, we are losing our butts. No one's buying contracts. No one's buying software. And I kind of saw that. And I said, there's something here between tax credits, mm -hmm. affordable housing. So that kind of put the bug there. But obviously with COVID, people not making payments on their rent versus Section 8 and HUD, where they're making payments every single month, that kind of attracted me. Um, but going forward where we're at, um, we're acquiring rentals. We are picking up anything that's under 200,000 ARV. Just to give you an example, our last three mm -hmm. acquisitions in the last 30 days, we're buying them for 50 to $70,000 all mm -hmm. in. We're like 115 to 120,000. So, wow. awesome. so we're, so we're capturing about 50, 50, $60,000 of equity. Plus we're able to stay under, I, I don't know why I did the math on it. If I stay anywhere between one hundred fifteen to $130,000 all in, whenever I go to refinance, even if I have to do a DSCR at like 9.5%, wow. in the areas we are targeting, I will still cash flow $350 net. So that's kind of what turned me on to that was, hey, these people are still going to be paying. We can capture equity. So whenever everything changes, I can do cash out refinances or move on to the next deals. Wow, that's no. <laughs> awesome, man! Like, and, and you're not wholesaling well, much. We're keeping pretty much everything. That's awesome, though. But and 
where are you marketing to get those properties then? What markets are you specializing in? How did you find this area? Because a lot of newbies coming out now, they're, they're just like, I want to get in real estate. I want to get in real estate. But they have no idea where to start. Like they don't even yeah. know where to like, what the target is, or they haven't even thought of process. They didn't even thought about like, strategically, how do I even think about this? You clearly have thought about it and all the numbers along that process. So how did you pick this area that, that you're focusing specifically for affordable housing? Yeah. So affordable housing, obviously, like, you can always go for the, the MSAs, metropolitan areas, the, the big areas like out here, it's Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, mm -hmm. If you're trying to find an off-market deal, obviously it's a little bit harder to go into the direct markets. So for me, like I've always preached, go to secondary markets, go to tertiary markets where it's 30 minutes, maybe an hour outside your major metropolitan mm -hmm. areas, because you've got to think the affordability, if you're going after affordable housing, it's going to be where people live that they don't have great income. Mm -hmm. um, so like how I research my areas is I use datausa.io dot, dot mm -hmm. and you can go in there and it will actually tell you like how far down the rank in that, in that state or County that city is as far as poverty levels, how much the income is. Um, for me, I looked for areas that they were anywhere from 12 to 18% like poverty. And also mm -hmm. their income had to be below $40,000. That told me kind of two things there. One, there was a need for poverty or like, affordable housing. And two, if it's lower income, it means the houses are probably cheaper. So I reverse engineered it versus going, Hey, let's, let's go look in California for million dollar homes. <laughs> let's go where the people, let's go where the houses are that are 50, $60,000, but we can fix them up to 150, $180,000 ARVs. And I, and I like that you just mentioned that point, right? Where you're fixing them up. You're not trying to be a slumlord. You are trying to give a very, very nice product for these people to kind of live in. Um, and is that just part of your strategy? Like, is that just because you have a kind heart or is it like a good business proposition, right? Like, are you trying to provide a good process for people staying there a lot longer? Like what has been your experience with uh, tenancy? Like how turnovers in your properties? Are people sticking around pretty longer because you're renovating them really, really well? So I'm, I'm relatively new to affordable housing. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that my whole concept and perception of going into a rental um, is if you go ahead and spend the CapEx or capital expenditures now, it saves you that, that toilet call three months from now. Call. <laughs> so if you, if you kind of rent, make it rental proof is what my, my GC calls it. Um, it. It saves me the headache five years from now or four years from now. And what we found is obviously, as you know, Kent, with affordable housing, they might be waiting 12, 18, 24 months just to get a house. Um, I'll tell you a story here in a second, but yep. these people, they're used to the basic slum. So if you're able to provide a product that they're like, this is amazing, like someone actually cares about this and they're, they're going to take care of the property. Um, we've just found that, especially with affordable housing, if we're able to provide that level, it creates a sense for them to go, this person cares about me. I'm going to do my part versus, hey, he put like an old stove from 1980 and I have to use a match to light it kind of thing. They don't care about it then. Absolutely. And I think when you're treating them with respect, they absolutely take care of your property, right? Because now they are residents of your home. They're not, they don't feel like they're just being cast aside anymore. And it's like, hey, you got a legit microwave. Is that when I was like, I've seen in other listings where I've seen those dials on microwaves. I don't know how old school that is, man, but there should not be dials on microwaves anymore <laughs> that yeah. we're living in. <laughs> so tell us some stories about the people that you've helped, yeah. man. So I... And this one's one of the more recent ones, but mm -hmm. we just acquired a property. It's actually like two blocks from my office. It was, it was actually a, a pretty interesting 
way we acquired it. But um, we, we closed on it about two weeks ago. Um, on Monday, my, my contractor called me. He's like, hey, there's a lady just sitting on our porch. Um, she's waiting for you to get here. And I pulled up. I was like, hey, what, what can I do for you? And she goes, I live across the street. My mom's on Section 8. I would love if she could live across the street from, from me. And I was like, okay, we'll have her come over to me, talk, and we'll see what her voucher covers because her mom is 70, 78. Um, she's been in the apartments for six, six years. And I was like, have her come talk to me. I was like, we are doing Section 8 on this one, but I also have another one nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was like, I, I would love for my mom to live across the street. And she's like, the fact that you're open to Section 8, and I know like y'all are fixing up. She's like, y'all could have not fixed up. Um, cause her, the daughter I was talking to, she lived across the street in a rental and it was rougher mm-hmm. than, oh man, than this one. Um, but we, we were talking to her and I was like, Hey, go, go do this, this, and this, to get your voucher approved. And so we can go and process it. Um, but that was just like one story is she'd been waiting for six years to wow. get into a house, just a house. She'd been in an apartment and she was like, I think it's a God thing that like, this house came up, you're, you're working with section eight. Um, she's like, that way I have an opportunity. Cause she's like, this house already looks good. Y'all have already, I already know what y'all are going to do to it. And mm-hmm. it looks way better than anything I've ever looked at house wise. And you actually care. So that kind of like felt for me. And I was like, okay, that that's a good feeling there. But it, at the same time, I was like, how many people am I not helping by doing more? So mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it kind of made me go, Hey, look, we need to find some more deals. Yes. Absolutely. Oh my God, man. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And just hearing their story, it's six years. I mean, when I was in section eight, I, my wait list was seven years yeah. and the apartment building I was in, they stopped taking applications for a while. Right. So these people literally have, for lack of better words, no hope until mm-hmm. someone actually comes along like you. So man, thank you for what you do. First of all, thank you for what you do. Cause without people like you, I would have never had a stable life kind of growing up too, man. Like, I, I think people need to take the time to appreciate people that are taking a chance on this because there are so many bad preconceived, like, misperceptions of Section 8 renters. And they're there to trash your home because they've seen maybe landlords or slumlords rent out rougher properties to people. So they think maybe it's the people that treated as in a rough way or something like that. Right. But it could have been the landlord, but people stop, people never dig deeper. People stop at the headline and they never dig deeper to understand the details. So I'm so glad like you have changed this family's life pretty much forever. And you have kept them together and, and united them. And man, that's, that's going to be such a good story for you to tell to your kids. You know what I'm saying? Like your your daughter's going to go to you like, man, dad, I'm so proud of you. That, (laughs) That is like the best feeling as a dad, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh my God, man. I, I, I love that. Um, that's a beautiful story, man. I mean, tell us a little bit about what does your portfolio look like right now? Are you just buying in one concentrated area? Are you, do you have like multiple section eight rentals? Like tell us a little bit about your portfolio. Um, so I'll, I'll say this. I, I kicked off my section eight. I call it my war campaign is what my guys Perfect. call it. Um, so my campaign, my war campaign against... My war on affordable housing is what mm. our formal term is. Um, so we we basically kicked it off about three months ago. So after the second interest rate hike back in like Got it. July, I was like, hey, we need to shift a little mm-hmm. bit. Because um, we went from wholesaling and wholesaling to, hey, we need to take down these deals ourselves. Yeah. And eventually I was like, hey, these deals are getting better and better, we're finding. Um, so I've bought was it five rental, five properties for Section 8 so far. 
in the last 60 days. Um, I'm actually doing a wraparound on my personal home. We're closing on today in like four hours. Wow. <laughs> uh, first wrap, first wrap round. Um, so we're, we're actually going to town on it pretty hard. Um, obviously going into Christmas and new years, it's mm -hmm. kind of slow for everybody. So we're, we're stepping back until the new year to buy anything else, yep. but we are not stopping. I'm actually looking at portfolios right now, like 15 unit deals. Um, wow. I try and stay near like within a 30 minute radius of each other. But mm -hmm. again, it's got to hit my, hit my metrics. Are we under 200,000 ARV on this home? Can I, can I cash flow even at 9%? Can I cash flow 350? And also like, I got to be all in 130 max. So if it meets that buy box, I'm buying it. And I think I need to pause there and make sure the audience really listens to you. Like there is no excuse. Like you bought five properties in the last 60 days when the whole world is screaming like recession, like the world's going to end. You have your established criteria. So like I learned that from bigger pockets, crystal clear criteria, you have your metrics that you're looking for. So I would encourage the listeners out there to one, do your research, but also come up with your criteria that you're looking for. And if you don't know where to start, listen to McLean, man. <laughs> listen to him. Follow this guy on Instagram because this guy knows what he's talking about. And he has a demonstrated track record of success. Don't just follow somebody. Make sure you actually talk to someone who's actually doing this and in this business. So, McLean, I love those little tips and those little nuggets that you just gave for the audience. That's extremely valuable, man. Um, and I love that you call it born affordable housing because... Dude, everyone tells us affordable housing is so hard. They're like, hey, it's impossible because you have X, blah, blah, blah. Just a lot of excuses, right? But I, I'm so glad you came on the call today because the goal of this is really to get one piece of the puzzle from everyone that comes onto the podcast. And you are providing another piece of the puzzle that, hey, this shortage problem is real. Like We just talked about the, the lady that you just helped out, six years waitlist. San Diego, I went to the housing tour. It's 12 to 15 years. If we don't have people like you giving these little nuggets, how are we ever going to solve the affordable housing problem, right? There are, there are going to be more immigrants coming to, to the States. There are always going to be people that have a round of bad luck. It doesn't mean that there weren't good people. They could have just made one bad choice or just had dealt a bad, set, bad, bad hand, right? Yes. But I think we are there to step in and say, hey, everyone deserves a second chance. And you are helping families and families and the kids that you're helping them is going to be incredible because they're going to grow up in a stable home, man. Um, I mean, do you look at other criteria when you're buying your home? So you talked about the numbers. Do you look for low crime? Do you look for good schools? What else goes in your criteria from like a qualitative standpoint that isn't really factoring into the numbers? Um, so like, like I said earlier, we mainly focus on like secondary and tertiary markets. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking, I'm talking towns that have less than like 50,000 people. So there might be there might be two schools mm -hmm. in the district. There might be like one. Mm -hmm. um, they might have one school that has all the kids. So wow. it, it's areas that you're you can know off like immediately. My guys know if we're in this area, this area they know street by street almost. Um, so we went really deep on our markets versus wide. Um, I don't market to I don't market to Fort Worth. I was it Tarrant County, Fort Worth. Um, but like we focus on the smaller areas because one that's where our typical clientele is it's just outside mm -hmm. the metropolitan areas where everything's a little bit more affordable um so we don't really have to factor in schools we do look at street by street we're like hey mm -hmm. we know this pocket's a little bit more rough we're not going to buy yeah. in there mm -hmm. but if we if we can get close to it and we're comfortable with it I'll, I'll pull the trigger on it um for example like i i bought one i went to a texas a m commerce which is population probably eleven thousand people 
Wow, and small. yes, yes. And I, I bought a I bought a house that's literally across the trail the uh, railroad tracks. And <sighs> whenever I went to college in 2016, 2017, that was rough. Like you do not go across there. And I went by, looked at it. The, uh, the investor that had it, he was a total slumlord. Like this family was using buckets of water, and he he was a plumber. I was like, could you not fix it? And what? yeah, it was awful. But uh, I went by it. I was like, this area is up and coming. It's actually doing good. And my contract went by and he was like, dude, I used to, this used to be my stomping grounds back in the day. And uh, <laughs> we, we looked at it. We we're like, hey, we feel comfortable pulling trigger on it. Thankfully we did because like two weeks later, an invest- investor bought two houses beside us, fixed them up, <laughs> flipped them for $225,000. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, okay, I was like our ARV just went from like 165 to like 190 200. <laughs> Talk about building wealth quickly, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we got about 70,000 of equity captured in that deal. Um but like we we don't really focus too much on hey, is it a good school? It might be the only school. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, we can't really right. we can't really make a judgment on that. That's right. And how about property management then? Are you are you managing these yourselves within the family? Are you have you hired a property manager? Just talk talk us through like what you're doing to manage it. And you know, are you screening property management companies yeah. if you are using property management companies? Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm in luck out here. Um, there's a local property management company I'll probably go mm-hmm. with. That's actually mm-hmm. on my uh, task list to get done for January. Is mm-hmm. I'm getting to the point where I go, hey, let's just hand this off to property management. Like it's it's not worth my time here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have some, I guess you'd say friends, local investors, they own 50, 70 properties. I forgot what their account was last time, but they have a mm-hmm. property management company. So they know what to look for. They know how to manage Got it. it. Got um, it. I'll probably go with them, but I don't want to be a property manager in my life. So <laughs> that's not no. what I sign up for. No. And I think, I think you knowing where your strength is, it's like spotting deals, managing a rehab. That's a very specialized skill set already. You don't need to try to do everything. Right. And it's like when people try to get started in real estate, they're like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this when the time comes? It's like, dude, just get started. Just get it and done. just like, right. Just start first. And then you'll figure it out later. And I think sometimes everyone needs to understand like every single little step along the process. And that's okay. This is why we're having a podcast because sometimes people do want to know every single step and that's okay. So we can, demystify the process a little bit for them so that they can try to understand like okay it's really not that scary like what if i deal with like the, the toilets clogging right look at mclean he he got a property management company you don't have to worry about that stuff right yes so i love that uh let's go into your messy title specialty man like tell us tell us an example or a story what does a messy title even mean and how are you going in there and solving that problem for people yeah so so messy title can be very broad um, I know a lot of investors, they they come across deals where there might be, uh, let's say, two two uncles that bought a property together. One died. The other one's trying to sell it. Mm. Um, there might be multiple heirs involved. You're talking to a lot of emotional people. Um, you might have judgments for banks that have not been open in 15, 20 years, things like that, just to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually had a deal that just closed on the 18th of last month. Um, we had originally the deal started with 10 heirs. Um, one died. We had their kids step in. We had 13 heirs signing Thanksgiving day. Um, it took 414 days to finish that deal. And I'll tell you why. Um, it was a vacant lot. I'd contracted it for $31,000. It had mm-hmm. probably 
$18,000 in fines from the city over 15 years. It, they owed about $12,000 in taxes over 15 years. This family did not have money. Um, obviously, with 10 heirs involved, they did not know how to get this done. So we found it with our software from RGISIF. We found it. We were able to highlight it and go, hey, this is probably an issue right here. They're 15 years behind on taxes. No one's paid them. It's pretty high. Let's figure it out. So we contacted the family last year, October, um, got all our paperwork. We were like, hey, we need these 10 people to be on board. Mind you, seven of them have not talked to each other in 12 years. <laughs> so you're a family counselor yes, now. Yes, basically a family counselor and a private investigator mixed into one is what we do. <laughs> um, we contacted each sibling. It took us about three months. Everybody got on board. Um, it worked out to where they made about $500 each after everything was said and done. And we got to closing in February of 2022. And 12 hours before closing, the oldest sibling calls me and goes, we can't find our brother. I go, what do you mean? Oh. Um, he's missing in Houston. And, he, and I forgot to tell you, he's homeless. So we have to hire a private investigator. Um, we actually ended up hiring a second one because the other one just gave up. Um, a Houston PD detective we had to like pay him to go find find the guy. Um, they found him in like three days, but for some reason it took them wow. all it took them all six weeks to tell us this. I don't know why. It, it was horrible communication between all of them. So yeah. they found him. He was okay. Six weeks later, we found we found that out, but no one got contact information. So this guy goes MIA. Six weeks, no one hears from him. So February, February, March, we're like, hey, I guess he's in the wind. We don't know where he's at. So was it April, May, June, July, I get a call from the sister. She goes, Hey, Billy just showed up at my house. Can we sign documents right now? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so we go, yeah, that's perfectly fine. We'll go ahead and get that done. We get his signature. Hey, everyone's good to cl close, but uh, Bessie died in August. Oh. And I go, you kidding me? So now we have her. So we now, or not Bessie, uh, Betty. We now have three other siblings to deal with. Oh, so man. we have to we have to do an affidavit airship, um, and we always do affidavit airships. If if you're in a state that does not do affidavit airships, I feel mm -hmm. sorry for you because down here okay. in Texas, we can do affidavit airships. We can skip probate, and we can get a deal I done very gonna, quickly. I was going to say, how is the probate issue? That sounds really messy, but I'm really glad we I just know, go around know that about that. Okay, it. got it. Um. So for that deal, um, it took them a little bit longer because they, they couldn't get the paperwork done. Um, it's like three pages. Like, <laughs> is, this, is this your mom? Oh, man. Are you the kids? That's fit, things like that. Um, so we finally got everybody on board. And then uh, we had one person go to the hospital. Obviously, we had one pass. Uh, we had two mm -hmm. private investigators. Um, but we were able to get everybody to agree, hey, you're only going to make $500 on this deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all signed thanksgiving day because they were all wow. at the house they were like hey we're gonna sign it they called me they're like hey we got it done when are we getting our checks <laughs> so it took <laughs> 415 days to get there but I, I don't know if you recall but i i bought that deal for thirty-one thousand dollars, and i signed it for 85 we're closing on tuesday um so it was worth the squeeze is we but no say. one else was willing to touch that so, so get this right so get this 
back in June, I had three other investors call me because I had a memorandum on the property. They said, hey, I, oh, see, wow. I see you have first memo on this property. What's the deal? These three other investors that I know, they had contacted someone else that was impersonating the dad who had died 20 years ago. No way. Yes. And they were just getting the rabbit trail. They were like, what, what's on going on with this deal? I see you have a memorandum on the property. Is it the real family? Is it okay? And these investors never verified if the person they were talking to was even alive. Wow. They just took it, took it for their word, ran with it. And I was like, y'all know he's dead, right? So, so it was to their shock. They were like, what do you mean? Oh my God. What a great story. Wow. I mean, not great in the sense like that family passed away for sure. But I think that shows that the perseverance and grit that you have continually to demonstrate throughout your entire life continue to show up in this story as well and and you just closed this not that long ago but i think it shows people like hey you gotta persevere you gotta stick to it and if you really want to make money you gotta do what other people aren't willing to do and you really dug deep and you asked the right questions right otherwise you would have been like the other investor just assuming that you know the the person that was alive was actually not alive yes Um, that's really cool, man. I mean, I can see why you're so successful, man, and why you have such a big name in the real estate community now, man. Like, you are you're you are there. You are it. Like, you definitely know what you're doing. And I, I want to continue to provide some more value for our listeners, right? You mentioned REI Seth, and you mentioned like how you use the program to detect some of these messy title issues. Can you share a little bit of the steps or your approach for how you use REI Seth to find these messy title deals? If someone was trying to like, hey, you know what? I really like this McLean guy. I'm just going to commit and focus on and learning what he did and do it in my own local market. Yeah. So uh, full, I guess a little plug there. I'm not the owner of REI Sift. I am <laughs> on their website, but Tyler Austin is the one who created REI Sift. He, he's my, my, he's the reason I got really efficient. Um, mm-hmm. Before I started using REI Sift, I was disorganized. I would buy a list every month, skip trace them, never mm-hmm. recycle them. Um, but I went to REI Sift, took Tyler's, um auto legion challenge which now it has a different name but i got really niched down and went okay do i want to make cold calls for 10 hours do i want to go buy data every month do i want to go spend five thousand dollars every single month to maybe make 25 or 30 um i wanted to have a process because i knew at some point i would get to the point where i would rather come into the office make five phone calls and get two deals because Mm -hmm. we're taking sniper shots and Obviously, since you have your 14-month-old baby, you know, like, your time is even more <laughs> precious. Like, if you can go do one deal off of three phone calls and spend 30 minutes for the day, that's a good week. And a lot of people, they go buy a lot of data, go spin their wheels, go make more calls, go go build a big team. But for some of us, we're like, that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. But getting back to REI SIFT, it really helps us manage our data and go, where's our best focus? And the way I put it like this is if if you're wanting to get, let's say if you're in the checkout line at the grocery store and you see a huge line of like a hundred people in line waiting for this one little kiosk, but then you see over here in the corner, there's a kiosk. It doesn't look pretty. It's not right in the middle of the floor, but you go, why don't I just go over here? (laughs) That's literally how REISIF works for us is we're able to highlight our data and go, Hey, who is our most, we call them high high value targets, HVTs, that's what mm-hmm. we call them. Mm-hmm. We're able to take our list and go, who has the most distress? So we can stack our list in there, but we can also niche down and go, like, think of it like a Lego, like a Lego uh, 
playset. You can mix and match what you want. Do you want tax delinquent with probate? Do you want code enforcement? Do you want free and clear? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like we go after stuff that has either equity, free and clear, tax delinquent, and code violations. Um, our rule of thumb in our office is the only guarantees in life are death and taxes. And like I just told, I, I just mm -hmm. told you a second ago, all of our deals come from someone either dying or their taxes. The only way we found that property was taxes and code violations. Got it. So wow. that's kind of our niche for our areas that we target. Um, but you can, you can always mix and match it. If you're creative finance, you're wanting to look for negative equity, or if you're wanting to look for recently mm -hmm. owned properties, yep. stack that puppy how you want it. That's exactly right. And I think I want to unpack everything you kind of talked to, right? I think so many times people talk about like wholesaling, 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 and they just want to hire like 10 cold callers, uh, six lead managers, two closers, and they forget that you actually have to train them and manage them and coach them. It doesn't just like happen, snap of the snap of the finger, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I would encourage people to listen to what you just said right now is like pick your approach and pick what you can resonate with your sellers about because if you're picking tax liens i don't know maybe you had a tax lien before or maybe you hate the irs i don't know but maybe you have something in common to talk to people so you know like hey when i pick up the phone call with these tax liens this is how i can talk about them and then you eventually develop a process for this is how i'm going to start the conversation with x and x and these folks and i think thank you so much for sharing like your your secret sauce almost right with with the audience because now people can go out and actually try to figure out like, hey maybe i do take this approach right but I'm assuming you probably wouldn't recommend your approach for a state with no affidavit of yes. ownership, right? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. If if you're not able to do affidavits, just I guess cross your fingers and hope you don't find anybody that's deceased and go after people that are alive. But yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up, Kent, because yeah, that's kind of what I was leading. I kind of was leading to is you want to make like our phone calls. They're not hey, calling about your property over here. It's it's a different approach where we already know there's issues and we address it from mm -hmm. the front end. That way, it's not a conversation of, well, how much do you want to sell it for? Well, okay, how much mm -hmm. does it need in rehab? It's, hey, I see there's a tax bill or I see there's code enforcement fines. Do you know how to take care of those? It's a different mm -hmm. conversation because no one's calling to see how to solve that problem because every month they get a bill from the taxes or code mm -hmm. enforcement. That's it. And that is so, that's so correct, man. I think what you just said right there is, when you are so straightforward with your sellers, you are literally pulling the pain out, right? You're pulling the pain out. You're like, what is your, what is your plan, right? You're almost asking what you're planning. And if they say, I don't have a plan, then you're exposing them. You're pulling it out. It's almost like, you know, they're bleeding a little bit, but you're really just exposing the wound. Like, hey, you should probably disinfect this wound or something like that, right? Um, yeah. You should do something. Don't just, don't just stick around and just hang around, right? Um, all right. This has been an amazing conversation, McLean. Um, I always want to ask my guests, like, what do you need in your business right now? And where can, and what and how can people help you more in your business right now? Yeah. Um, love that question too. Cause I mean, coming up through the ranks, if you will, it was always reaching out to people like big figures that I, I admired and looked up to and asking those questions. So um, I will say if anybody messages me, I I'm still working on my executive admin, taking over all my messages. Um, but like what, what we're really looking for is building more capital. Um, mm -hmm. So like I mentioned earlier, whenever interest rate hikes kicked in and we were like, hey, there's a shift in the market. I, in, in 10 days, I raised $1.2 million in private capital. And oh. I, went to, I went to town on that. So I uh, bought all those properties without my money. 
um, we're always looking for private capital because obviously we're, we're deploying more and more deals and people are starting to look for other opportunities. Um, for example, I have individual, individuals that they were missing, what, they were losing 17% on their retirement accounts. And they were mm-hmm. like, hey, like, what can you do? And I mean, we offer anywhere from 10% to 11. So they were like, what do you mean? Like, we'll do that. <laughs> um, but we're always looking for private lenders. Um, we're looking for, now we're looking for subject to deals, creative finance type deals, mm-hmm. um, especially around Texas. Um, main thing is like, just providing value on my end. If I can tell someone, hey, there's a better way to do your data. Um, Cause I've seen people cut their marketing costs from $10,000 a month down to 2,500. And wow. they five, they five, maybe t- I've seen guys 15 X their return. Like our total operational costs. And I know this is totally mm-hmm. off subject, but our total operation costs for marketing, admin, VA, everything is $2,500 a month. Wow. Like that's great. That's, I mean, we don't have to go buy data every single month. We just recycle it and go through it and go, Hey, did we even mm-hmm. contact this guy? Um, but if I can provide that to someone, because I've seen guys where they go, guys and gals where they go spend $30,000 a month, $20,000 a month to make maybe 30 or 40 net. And they're spinning their wheels. They're like, man, I wish we could really cut our, our expenses down and actually live. Mm-hmm. So if I can provide that, it's a natural byproduct where people go, Hey, I've got someone who's got private money. I've got someone who has a deal like this. Um, but like I said, I'm always looking for private money because yeah, we're finding more deals. <laughs> got it. And you're looking for private capital. Are you also looking for more investors in your affordable housing units or section eight units as well? Uh, yeah, that's my, that's actually my main thing. Um, most of my lenders I acquired in the next, most of the lenders I acquired within those 10 days of raising 1.1 million was the Mm -hmm. pitch of, Hey, we're going after affordable housing. It was, here's our security is government paying. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. That is so cool. And what other sort of questions like FAQs have your investors asked you then? Like this way we can kind of cut cut out the noise and get straight to funding some of these affordable housing units because this is what matters to us, right? We're trying to help families. And if we can speed up that process to buy more properties to hold more families, I'm all for that. So like what sort of questions have you fielded from your investors whenever like you're raising money and you're trying to turn into affordable housing? Do yeah. they ask those things like, hey, are people going to trash the home? Like I'm interested to like hear about what people ask you. Yeah. So like the, the most common is always, like you said, what it, section A, that's that's low income. What if they trash it? Um, for us, what we do is a, a pre-inspection. So we go, hey, we mm-hmm. for you to get into our unit, we have to see what your home looks like now. So we'll do with a pre-inspection. We'll look through their home. Um, which I thought honestly was surprising because a lot of landlords don't do that. Um, they wow. just go, you have credit, you got income. Okay, great. Here's the keys. Um, but we, we kind of circumvent that and we're able to address that ahead of time by looking at, Hey, what's the living condition now? Mm-hmm. Um, other questions we get is like, Hey, what happens if the government shuts down? And the easy, the easiest thing is what do you think happened in 2020? Who do you think was still <laughs> getting paid? And obviously you can show them like, Hey, the government was still paying even during 2020, they were paying on section eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easy questions there. Um, I would say it's honestly easier to raise private capital for affordable housing than it is for flips or development. And, I <laughs> and I mean, people always ask are like, well, what kind of like properties are you going to invest in? And the main thing you, as you know, with like fix and flip and uh, conventional rentals is does it perform? which the biggest issue for conventional is, hey, if I'm at an 8% interest 
And I don't know if my rent's going to be 1500 or if it might be 1200 the next year or whatever. Mm-hmm. We, you and I both know I can go to HUD's website and see exactly what they're going to pay for the next year. And I just work my numbers backwards. If I know, exactly. if I know I'm all in $90,000, my interest is nine, 9.1%. I'm cash flowing. I, I don't have to question it. You're just dropping a mic, man. And I so- think like that is so beautiful. It's like, Hey, you can raise capital. It's a it's a risk, not risk-free, but it's recession-proof investments for sure. And on top of that, you are able to back into and literally go on a website and say, hey, this is how much we can charge for rent. Because so often, sometimes we're like, well, what if it's empty or what if it doesn't rent for this much? So there's websites out there that says like, hey, this is the max of what we will pay for you. So you can take all the ambiguity out. And by taking ambiguity out and gaining that knowledge, you take the fear out from taking action. Yes. So. I hope people really come back to this episode and re-listen to it twice. Please listen to it twice because McLean has dropped so many nuggets, so many gems, man. McLean, if people want to reach out to you or find out more about you, where th- where can they go and where should they reach out to you? Yeah. Um, so you can reach out to me either on Instagram, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not on Twitter yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you can find me. It's just my name, McLean Bobbitt. On Instagram, it's McLean.Bobbitt. Um, if you're just fiddling around trying to figure out more about our guy Sift, hit me up. I would love to get y'all's mm-hmm. affiliates and also be able to give y'all a discount code. Um, if you decide to, to take our guy Sift's challenge, be able to get better management on your data and also be more efficient with your mm-hmm. time and money, um, reach out to me, either Instagram or Facebook. And then if you're just wanting to learn like my story and whatnot, I have three or four interviews with, was it a... With with REI Sift, I have a couple on there. Just type in my name. Um, Love it. What's it called? Investor, not Investor Lift. Um, Wholesaling Inc. I've got like one or two podcasts with Wholesaling Inc. Just go in there, type in my name. You'll find what you want. All right. Hey, McLean, this has been fun. Thank you again for what you do, man. Seriously, this is beautiful. The stories you've shared are amazing. The gems you've shared are so valuable. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Um, We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully we'll have you back. Thank you for having me on, Kent.